Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. So we started a series uh, a while ago on the good life, and we've been looking at Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. We started last week, and the idea that I think is really important is we need each of these three books. We need Proverbs, we need Ecclesiastes, and we need Job to give us a different camera angle, a different perspective on this question of what does it mean to live the good life. And last week, what we started talking about with Ecclesiastes, we talked about the idea of what the teacher is trying to show us by this word hevel, or what we translate in our Bibles meaningless, or, or the word smoke or vapor, where Constantly in life, we see something that we think, that's a good thing, that's going to bring me joy and happiness and peace, and we go to grab it, and it disappears out of our hands like smoke or vapor. And it can feel like, as the teacher says, a chasing after the wind, where constantly we just are we're chasing after happiness, and we constantly find ourselves, one minute we think we have it, and the next minute we think, oh, where'd it go? Have you, how many of you ever chased fireflies before as a kid? Got it! And then you open your hand, and you're like, oh, never mind, it's not in there. I've chased a lot of fireflies. Um, and one of the big things about last week was he was, the teacher was constantly showing us, he said, well, you know what? I tried to pursue and find the good life in pleasure. All these pleasures, and that was empty, and like chasing after the wind. And I tried to find it through all, my, all this and that. And, and he was constantly just showing us how hard it is to find that fulfillment. And so today we're going to look at, and I'm going tr- to read these. I probably won't linger on these long because they're not fun realities that the teacher brings up. They don't really need me to say much about them. The second you read it, you're kind of going to be like, ouch, that's a painful reality of life. So we're going to look at three painful realities that the teacher shows us. By the way, I have to say, there's a resource called The Bible Project that I use a lot for t- lessons. And before I do this lesson, I have to give them credit for, um, for how much they helped me with this series. And so here is the first painful reality. Um, and I'm going to be reading, this is from Ecclesiastes 1, 3 through 4, and then 9 through 11. So I'm kind of skipping in case you're following along in your Bible. Um, what do people gain? Let me make sure I'm in the right spot. Yeah, okay. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. That's a downer. Painful reality number one from the teacher is time marches on without you. As much as we, you know, we remember, we can say, you know, Caesar Augustus, yeah, we know his name, you know, we know George Washington, but for most everybody, time just marches on and keeps going. It's a pretty painful reality. You think, oh, look, I've done something great and new. Well, eh, it's probably not that exciting. You know, you, you really probably haven't done anything that new. Painful reality number two from Ecclesiastes chapter three. By the way, we're going to be reading a decent amount today, so buckle up. Um, Chapter 3, verses 19 through 20. Surely the fate of human beings is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is hevel, smoke, meaningless. 
all go to the same place, all come from dust, and to dust all return. Part of Ash Wednesday for Catholics, when they put the ashes on your forehead, you say, from dust you were, to dust you will return. It's a reminder. The, the ashes symbolize the dust. Okay? Painful reality number two. Death does not show favoritism. There's no way to play the game to cheat this. There's so many books and so many movies where what is the villain trying to accomplish? They're trying to cheat death, trying to hold on to something that will... And what we know, the teacher tells us, hey, the bottom line is there's no favoritism here. Okay? Painful reality number two. Like I said, not going to linger long because we get it. They're painful and they're, they're something we all face. By the way, I, oh, I, let me linger on this one a little longer. I do think one thing that's hurt our society a lot is that there was a time in life where when someone was dying, that occurred in the family home and the family would then be in charge of the burial of that person. And so we all would have grown up very aware of death and very aware of the cost of life. And yet, more and more in our society, we try and get that away. I don't want to see that. I don't know if... How many people do you know they are like, I just can't go to a funeral. It's too hard. It's too painful. It's kind of this fear of it, trying to push it away. And the teacher's like, you can try and push it away all you want. This is a reality in life. And the people in the Bible would have been keenly aware of this when life expectancy at like age 40. Um, okay, next painful reality. Ecclesiastes 9, 11. Proverbs likes to present life as something, when we read through Proverbs, there was very much a pretty clear cause and effect. You do this, this stuff happens. And the teacher is like, well, not always. It can be random sometimes. Here's, the teacher says, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. He's saying, Proverbs tells us if you work really hard, you're going to end up acquiring a healthy income. But sometimes that doesn't always happen. Proverbs would tell us if you are the fastest person, you are always going to win the race. But sometimes you drop the baton on the relay and you don't win. The, the Proverbs tells us if you eat your vegetables and your green beans, and well, those are vegetables. If you eat all your good food and you stay away from all the bad stuff, then you're going to be set. And then you know the person that's 95 and has like eight Dr. Peppers a day, you know, and they're fine. You know what I mean? Like, what, what's up with that? You know, there's, you never know. Life, so painful reality, number three, life is random. And so the question that we now have to, oh, yeah, I, I want to bring this up too. I want to, I want to point this out. Proverbs, when we use the Proverbs as promises of how life is going to turn out, you can really hurt some people. And the best example I know of is from Proverbs 22.6. Start your children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. If we treat that as a promise from God, you can really hurt some parents' feelings. Because there are lots of great parents who spent a lot of really good time trying to raise their children the right way, and it didn't happen. And there's a lot of really crummy parents who were terrible parents who just had these incredible God-fearing kids. Proverbs 22 is most of the time true. And that's what we should strive for. But life can also be very random sometimes where great parents have kids who don't choose to always listen. And where, great, or where terrible parents have these wonderful, wonderful kids. Just had to throw that out there. So the question that we are left to ask is, how do we live this good life in the midst of 
hevel, of smoke, of just, well, Drew, if you're telling me that there's all these painful realities and I can't really count on anything, what, what should I do with this? What's the takeaway? And the teacher actually has, I would say he has one point, but I'm going to kind of break it into two points. But know that they're related. Two things that I think we can hold on to. Of what does it look like to live this life? And the first thing is, comes from Ecclesiastes 3. And let's read this together. You've probably heard this before. It's quoted by Charles Dickens um, in uh, A Tale of Two Cities. That's Charles Dickens, right? Okay, I may be wrong. No, it's not. Mark Twain? Okay, we'll see. I'll, I'll get someone who, maybe Georgie knows. Okay, <laughs> all right, well, let's read this. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 11. This is part of the teacher's answer to how we should live. Bryce, one of Bryce's verses he told me he likes from Ecclesiastes. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time for embra to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has also set eternity into the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So the first part of what the teacher says we should do is we should have a loose grip on life. A lot of times the way we think we're going to be able to live the good life is to be able to have control over everything that's going to happen. You know, if I could just control the elements, if I can get, just control all the factors, then I'm going to be able to have a good life. And the Ecclesiastes, he's basically saying, you have no control. You don't have control over time. You don't have control over death. You don't have control over randomness. And so once you can learn how to have a loose grip on life, to let go of that control... You can learn how to hold things in a way where your attitude towards that present moment is, I'm not going to worry about this because I have no control. And I'm able to just relax and say, you know what? I'm going to just know that right now I'm in a season of life where there's a time for this. I, I'm in this season. There's a time for this season. I'm in this season. And knowing that in the midst of that, you get to choose to say, God, I have no control over this season in my life. And that's a freeing feeling. Uh, I'm very afraid of heights, very afraid of heights. But on roller coasters, I have no problem. You know why? I'm strapped into that thing, I have zero control. Whereas when I'm on top of a mountain and I'm standing there or like, you know, I remember we got to see Niagara Falls when I was a kid and my sister's looking, wow, look at this. And I'm like five feet away. And my dad's, go, go look at it, you know? And I, you know why I'm scared? Because I have control if I fell over that railing. But in a roller coaster, I'm just, you know, I'm locked in. If this thing breaks, not on me. You know, I have no control on, over this, right? Okay, the next part of that, which I think these two are the same point, but I'm breaking them into two. Let's read, read from Ecclesiastes 2, 24 through 25, and a few other verses. This is scattered throughout Ecclesiastes. Over and over, he kind of makes points like this. A person can do nothing better. Because you have control over your life, Here's some of the good stuff you can do with your life. 
A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Whenever you're just having a meal with a friend, see that as a gift from God. I know you've all been there where you've had a, your life is rough and there's nothing better than just stopping in the midst of the day and eating with a, a loved one. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I like this phrase, that find satisfaction in their toil, their work. I think part of the idea of, you know what, even if, if you base your enjoyment of your job on how much you love doing your job, most people in the world are going to hate their life. But if you find a way to say, you know what, there's something about just, I'm going to go, I'm going to do my job, I'm going to eat, drink. That's my life, accepting kind of that this is what I'm going to do. If you can find a, a joy in that, your life is going to be better, in my opinion. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their work, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of their heart. Another one, this one, this one I like a lot. When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Just, it's out of your control. A time for this, a time for that. Be in that moment that you're in. Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this hevel life that God has given you under the sun all your meaningless days, for this is your lot in life and your toilsome labor under the sun. I know that might sound really depressing, but part of what it's saying is, what can we do with this? And here's, in my opinion, the second part of this answer. Live life with a loose grip, knowing you can't control things, and be present with the everyday parts of life and enjoy God's good gifts. Did anyone notice that yesterday was gorgeous weather? Enjoy that. That's a gift from God. Did anybody recently sit down and I mean I, I know last night Catherine made a, a taco soup type thing that was a good dinner enjoy it that's a gift from God those are those are the things where you can be present in that moment I have two analogies that I'd like to use and then I'm gonna bring it to Jesus but my brother-in-law Joe Ross I called him this week because I love the way he talks about his granddad his granddad's name is Shelby Joe uh, Stanfield and he looks up to him as much as he looks up to anybody. And I called him this week, and I was telling him what I was preaching about. And this is the first thing he said. I said, I'm preaching from Ecclesiastes, and I'm talking about the idea of just enjoying what you have in life, or enjoying life. And this is what the first words he came out of, came out of his mouth. He said, my granddad worked at a job for 34 years and retired. He would drink coffee at 6 a.m. every morning and watch the morning news, and then get home from work and sit on the porch. He said every year he would go camping for two weeks in April and two weeks in October and fish for catfish every day. And he said he would go to the same campsite in his same camper and every year that's what he would do. And he said if he were healthy enough, he'd still be doing that. Do you all know people like that in your life? This is the next thing he said that I, I was like, okay, perfect. This is great for my sermon. He said he was a man who wanted what he already had instead of what he didn't have. Okay? That's part of the teacher's message. We live in a society where it is impossible not to want what everybody else has. You go on Facebook, you see somebody got a new boat. 
man, I wish we had a boat. You go on Facebook, you see somebody got a brand new house that they got to build. Man, I wish we could do that. All you're doing is spending your life not being present, but thinking about what you wish you had or what they have instead of saying, guess what I have? Roof over my head, food on the table, jiffy cornbread. That, that's the good life right there. And have this presence of, you know what? Today was gorgeous weather in Clifton, Texas. Thank you, God. That was a gift from you. Okay. The second analogy is, um, some of you may, I've talked about this before. I could do a whole sermon series on wilderness trek. But this was my, me and my youth group, we got to go on wilderness trek. And you can see the summit of the mountain that we hiked. It was six days of hiking and camping, living out of our backpacks. And we got to summit a mountain. And one of the things that they do at the beginning of the trip is they take away your watches, your phones, and anything that would help you know what the weather is, what time it is, or where you are. Every single person, adult and child, has to turn in anything that shows time. You have to turn it in. Anything that would help you know where you are, you have to turn it in. And you spend the whole week walking where all you have are your guides to show you where you're going. And when they say, we're going here, that's all you have to trust them. And guess what? It's incredibly freeing. You are complete, it's completely out of your control. When do I need to wake up? When they wake me up. Where am I? Wherever they say we are. How far is it until we get to stop for lunch? Whenever they say. And guess what? The second that you learn how to let go of having to control everything, the second you begin to realize, this is kind of nice. Because guess what? I'm going to spend more time talking to the person next to me instead of thinking, well, when do I need to stop for lunch? When do I need to make sure we're... I had none of that on my mind. And part of the takeaway from this trip was, that is what God is calling us to in our life. The second we learn to say, I have no control over this, and say, God, you are in control, it's a very freeing experience. You're much more able to be present in what you're in and what you're going through when you realize you've got to give up trying to control the situation and you start trusting that God is in control. And so we have to ask ourselves, who lived presently and trusted in God's control better than anyone else? And the answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus was present with everyone he was around. Do you think during the Lord's Supper, Jesus wasn't sitting there? Hey, I'm in this moment with you guys. Whenever someone would come and touch his robe, he was interruptible to be present with that woman right then and there. Another example of how perfect Jesus is for this is when Jesus... So the control thing is something I struggle with. Was Jesus in control? Was he not in control? I believe that Jesus completely trusted in God's control over the situation. Every time they'd ask him, Jesus, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? He says, I only say and do what the Father's will has for me to do. And in many ways, it was a sense of, God, I'm giving up control over this situation because I trust in your control. And in that sense, he was totally in control. Does that make sense? I know it's kind of a weird way to say it. But because he would give up control and trust in God's control, no one was ever more just present and able to say, no matter what comes, your will be done. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name, by the way, is to say, I give up control over this because I'm trusting in your name and in your will. When Jesus was under the boat and the disciples were like, Jesus, there's a storm. Don't you want to solve this? As they're trying to control the boat and control the storm. And for him, it was peace. And was it he that had control over the water? No, it was, guys, I'm not worried because God's in control of this. God's got this. And so what I want to wrap up by inviting you to is that the teacher shows us in Ecclesiastes, here is the reality. Time marches on. 
Death comes for us all and life is random and out of our control. And our human instinct is to try and fight against that. Life will be good if I can increase the time that I have. Life will be good if I can push death further down the road. Life will be good if I can eliminate all the randomness and completely control all of my situations. Oh, there was a freeze last year? I'm going to install a generator that's the size of my house so I can control the, the weather, right? Oh, there was this, so I'm going to... It's eliminating any possibilities. That's what we think is the answer to this. But guess what? The true answer is to submit to our lack of control and trust in God's control. Once you come to a place where you are content without having control, you will always feel freed for the space in your heart and your mind to notice the daily simple gifts from God. A good meal, a good conversation with a friend, a beautiful, crisp fall day. Blessed are the present, or as most of our translations say, blessed are those who are, their hearts are pure, for they will see God. This, in my opinion, is an incredibly crucial part of the question of what it means to live the good life. And if any of you would like to learn more about that, we're going to have elders standing at our doors. If anything you have, you want to pray about. But if you want to begin this conversation of saying, I keep trying to control it and it keeps not working, I want to give up that control and give it to Christ, we'd love to talk to you while we stand and sing this song. When upon life's billow